Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 40-45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He was made clean, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let's pray once more. Jesus, we want to see you this morning. We want, like the leper who is desperate, to encounter you this morning and to have you touch our lives. So would you come by your spirit and do just that? Amen. Well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is the title for our series for the next seven weeks. And at first glance, I think it seems like an odd one, a strange title. However, it's been my experience with myself and and maybe with yourself as well, that, that there is no historical figure so likely to be manipulated according to our own liking, our own desires in the person of Jesus. Jesus, to both those who follow him and those who do not, has been treated as sort of a a first century Mr. Potato Head. Did you know that toy? Did you grow up with that toy? I did. That this toy that you can dress up and, and assemble in the clothes and attires according to your preferences and likes. So you can give Mr. Potato Head a beanie if you want and make him into a burglar or a hipster. Uh, or you can give him like a, a Western hat and make him into a, a cowboy. And the same is true, I think, with Jesus for many of us. He's been enlisted by almost every major historical movement in the West. He's been quoted by seemingly every politician. And you can often, ironically, find his face on posters on both sides of the protests, can't you? Jesus is always on my side, apparently. We all want to claim Jesus for ourselves. And the great tragedy of this is that the Jesus we're left holding is more often than not, not the Jesus who was and who is. It's the Jesus revealed to us in Scripture. And it's not just that our personal Jesus is different, but the real tragedy is that he's actually worse. The Jesus we're left holding has some grace, but not an abundance of it. 
the Jesus we're left holding, yes, he, he believes in justice, but his application of it is uneven and tentative. The Jesus we're left holding is inspiring, but not awe-inspiring. He's an exemplary person amongst other exemplary people. For the next seven weeks, we want you to see that the answer to who is Jesus is that he is infinitely better than you thought he was. Infinitely more glorious than you thought he was. That none of us, even those who love Jesus dearly, have too high a picture of the Son of God. This morning, all of this begins with a story about a leper, a willing healer, and the trading of places. The leper, the willing healer, and trading places. So have your Bibles open to Mark 1, verse 40. And we're going to look at first the leper. It says this. And a leper came to him. This is to Jesus. Imploring Jesus. And kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Let's set the table, shall we? The story of Jesus in the leper comes early in Mark's gospel and is preceded by a sort of momentum of Jesus' rising fame. And so in verse 28, we read that after Jesus heals this demon-possessed man, that his fame spread everywhere, everywhere, right? Throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee, that even as Jesus retreats to his home base, to get some R&R, no doubt. It says still that outside of Simon's house, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Jesus is hot stuff. He's killing it. If this was in the the, the era of, of, you know, cable news, it would have filled every news outlet. Your your social media feed would have been filled with, with what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was teaching. But let's leave Jesus for a moment. Let's leave Jesus for a moment. Because as this frenzied movement is taking place, there is a man who is not surrounded by crowds. In fact, the crowds avoid him. He is not the center of the action. He is well on the periphery. This is on purpose. He is not welcome in town. He is not welcome in the city. He's not welcome in the center because he is a leper. Now, to be a leper in this world is to be an outcast. Capital O, outcast. It is to be the chief outcast. We know this. Tax collectors and prostitutes, they were hated. They were despised. They were looked down upon. But at least they weren't banished to the outskirts of town like Lepers. Leprosy, this umbrella term for this group of skin diseases, was the subject, as one scholar says, of superstition and fear. Superstition and fear. Superstition. See, in the first century world, physical deformities, disabilities, were a sign of the gods being against you or God himself being against you. And no doubt in the Jewish conception of thinking, they would have had something like Numbers 12 in their mind, where Miriam, if you know the story, Miriam opposes Moses, the leader of God's people, and God judges her by giving her leprosy and fear. Fear because not only would leprosy make you also unclean, also unable to participate in the worship of God's people, but also leprosy was a fearful sight to behold, to look at. 
The horror of leprosy is that it renders useless your body's warning system for pain. Listen to how one scholar defines it. He says this. He says, the disease acts as an anesthetic, bringing numbness to the extremities as well as to the ears, eyes, and nose. The devastation that follows comes from such incidents as reaching one's hand into a charcoal fire to retrieve a dropped potato, or washing one's face with scalding water, or gripping a tool so tightly that the hand becomes traumatized and eventually stump-like. Today, in third world countries, vermin sometimes chew on sleeping leopards. It's horrible. It's for this reason that rabbis in Jesus' day spoke of lepers as the living dead, the original zombies, if you will. The living dead. These often horribly disfigured men and women destined for a life of solitude and shame. And so to give you a picture into the life of a leper, just listen to Leviticus 13. Listen to what a leper must do. There we read, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. In no uncertain terms, this is how a leper was to be treated. And I, for one, can't think of anything worse. It is one thing to suffer in this painless hell. It is another thing to suffer alone. And still, to suffer this way also so publicly is almost unimaginable. Can can you picture that with me? Walking into Superstore or walking into Costco and yelling out, Unclean! Unclean! And everybody scatters. Or, Or walking down Hastings. Going west, and you're yelling as you walk, unclean, unclean, and everybody is running through traffic to get to the other side of the road. It's ostracization like we've never known it before or seen it before. But maybe you can, even just in part, sympathize with this. Maybe something has been done to you or you've done something to someone, and you swear that everyone can see the uncleanness on you. The leper is unclean. This is relational language. He is cut off from God, cut off from the Holy One of Israel. And he is cut off from God's people. Those are to to be holy, clean, and pure, as God is holy. And so what does the leper do? He, he approaches Jesus. And we'll come back to the scandal of this at the end. But look at what he says in Mark 1, verse 40. He says, If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Notice what the leper is saying. He, he's saying on one hand, I believe that you can make me clean. There's remarkable faith here, isn't there? The leper, leper has heard not only of Jesus' healings, but also his teaching. He has come to believe, maybe even just in part, that Jesus is the Messiah, the servant of God that God's people have been waiting for. 
See, there's no doubting Jesus' power or whose name Jesus comes in by the leper. However, he's also saying, on the other hand, Jesus, I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to. I don't know about you, but for me, the leper's theology sounds very familiar. I understand the leper's theology. For many of us this morning, it is not God's power or ability that we doubt, but his willingness and desire to exert that power on our behalf. For us. To us. Put another way, we believe God to be powerful but not good. To be mighty but not kind. And if he is good, if he is kind, he is good and he is kind to those who deserve it. Clean people, holy people, certainly not the unclean, certainly not lepers, and certainly not us in view of what we did last night. Will you, Jesus? What a question. One commentator says it well when he says this. The leper's longing is profoundly human, for it is not God's ability that we doubt, but only his willingness, if, if he will do what we ask. So what does Jesus do? Look at the second point with me, the the willing healer. Bible's open, verse 41, read it with me all the way to verse 44. There we read, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. How does Jesus respond? And and this is what I want us to see this morning. That Jesus responds in a way that none of us ever could. Jesus responds in a way that you and I could, could never respond. Look at verse 41. It says, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus. He responds first with, with, with tremendous compassion. Overwhelming compassion. There are three other times besides this in Mark's gospel where this Greek word is used. And and this word has with it this meaning of, 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 of being moved in our guts or being moved in our bowels. It's like this, like this guttural compassion. Like from the depths of who Jesus is, he is compassionate. And, And twice it's used in reference to the crowds. Now you may think, well, that's insignificant. But in Mark's gospel, the crowds are the worst. They're the worst. Oh, the only people worse than the crowds in Mark's gospel are the disciples. Right? They're, they're the only ones who are less understanding than the crowds. But, but in Mark's gospel, the crowds are, are passive. Right? They, they stand back and watch, like arms crossed. They're fickle, right? And more often than not, as Daniel will show us next week, they're often a barrier to needy people actually getting to Jesus. And yet Jesus, we're told twice in this gospel, has compassion on the crowds. The other time Jesus is moved in the same way is in response to a demon-possessed boy. And again, in the first century world, children were not valuable in and of themselves. They were valuable in what they could become, and what they might be, and what they might add to society. 
And so again, the boy has nothing to merit the, the compassion of Jesus. And yet again, Jesus is compassionate. Jesus, it says, had compassion, was, was moved by compassion. But, but notice that compassion here isn't just a fleeting thought. Oh, that's too bad. No, compassion is always connected to action. Our text reads, moved with compassion, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Imagine this moment with me. This man likely has not been touched in years. No kiss from his wife. No children to run and embrace him as he comes home from working in the field. Hasn't been touched in years. Nothing. I I read this story this week about a man having no family or friends or, or church community. A man who would go to get his hair cut once a week just so someone would touch him without misunderstanding. Touch. Good. Wise, loving, sensitive touch communicates without speaking a word, something so profound. It says, I love you, I'm with you, I understand you, I'm here. But Jesus' touch does more than that. See, you and I are able in small doses to have compassion, to be moved with compassion in small doses. But only in Jesus, and only in Jesus' touch, do we find compassion that is filled with power. Look back, verse 42. Jesus says, I will be clean. And then, immediately it says, immediately, the leprosy left him, and the man was made clean. He was healed. The leper, in a moment, in an instant, immediately is restored, is made clean. And it sounds too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. Especially for those of us this morning who are living, like the leper, with debilitating shame and guilt. It sounds too good to be true. But here is where we must see who Jesus is. Jesus is not a guidance counselor who has come to give you good advice for your life. He has not come to help you manage your shame, either by minimizing it, brushing it off as insignificant, or or maximizing it, resigning you to a life filled with it. No, Jesus is so much better to see that Christ city. He's so much better. Jesus, it says, is the willing healer. The one who, in his coming to earth, is not content to remain at arm's length with us, but touches humanity in all her uncleanliness and makes her clean. Washes her. Giving us, giving the leper, abundantly more than all we could ask for. Look, we must see this morning that that Jesus' pronouncement of cleanliness over the once unclean leper is both vertical and horizontal in its effect. And here's what I mean. It's vertical. That is, it affects the relationship between God and man. See, Jesus, as God, pronounces the leper clean. His compassion will not be stopped. Do you see that? His willingness knows no bounds. 
Jesus reaches out and makes those once unclean now cleansed from their sin. That's the work of Jesus. And notice, in just this very simple point, the difference here between Christianity and every other religion. See, every other religion says, be clean and then come. Tidy yourself up, put on your Sunday best, right? Look presentable, figure your stuff out, and then come. Then, then we can talk, then we can do business. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come. Come, and I'll make you clean. And I'll make you clean. The other cleansing is horizontal. There is a cleansing that happens between one another. Look at verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to the leper, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. And, and two questions immediately come to mind. First, why does Jesus want the leper to be silent, to be quiet, to not tell anyone? And we'll come back to this in a moment. But the second question is equally as pressing. It says this, why does Jesus tell the man to go to the priest? Hasn't Jesus done what the priest could not do? Bearing in mind that, that save a few other instances in the Old Testament, the priest has never once made the offering for cleansing from leprosy. The, like the priest knows about it in a book, but he's never gone to that page before. Right? He's never had to use that before. People are just being cleansed from leprosy all the time. Why go to the priest? Why the ritual? Well, here's why. Jesus is making a way for the leper. He's so good. Look, not only to be restored in relationship to God, but with the community, with other people, horizontally. It would be as the leper brings these animals to the priest for sacrifice that the priest would then pronounce the leper clean and the leper would be welcomed back into the community, into the people of God. See, in the very first chapter of Mark, we get a glimpse through this leper at just who Jesus is. Jesus has come to wash us clean. He has come for the lonely and the shame-filled. He has come for the capital O outcast. He has come to bring inside those who have been relegated to the outside. He has come with grace more abundant, more lavish, more generous than we could ever imagine. In the leper, we see that there is no one, no one, again, no one, too far from the touch of Jesus. So how does Jesus touch us? What does God's action for us, sinful humanity, leprous humanity, look like? But in our third point, we see that Mark, from the very beginning of his gospel, is already alluding to its end. This is the third point. Look at it. Trading places. Trading places. Look at verse 43 to 45 with me. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. What does the leper do? He went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news. 
so that Jesus could no longer openly enter town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Why does Jesus command the leper to be silent? You would think, you know, he'd want the word to get out. More people come, more people hear, more people get saved. Everybody's happy. Why does Jesus command the leper to be silent? We read also in verse 45 that the leper's disregard for Jesus' command only serves to hinder Jesus' ministry. We see that first practically. Look at verse 45. But he went out, and the leper began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. And so, and so what's the result of the leper running his mouth? Well, he says this, so that Jesus can no longer openly enter a town. Jesus' increased fame means that Jesus can't move freely. The next week, Daniel will show us again what this means. But, but the other way the leper hinders Jesus' ministry is by allowing for the potential, for the potential that Jesus and Jesus' kingdom will be misunderstood. Will be misunderstood. See, Jesus' rising popularity with the crowds was on the basis of both his teaching and his miracles. But both of these ministries, Jesus' teaching ministry and Jesus' miraculous ministry, both of these ministries in Jesus' life only served one purpose. One purpose. That Jesus was going and moving towards the cross. Towards crucifixion. See, one New Testament scholar, Craig Blomberg, he says this. He says, Jesus was very cautious about accepting the title or allowing premature enthusiasm to overwhelm his mission because popular Christological expectation did not leave room for a suffering Messiah. Translation, the Christ people were waiting for was a triumphant one. A warrior Christ, a warrior king who would come and bring right now, right here, military might over Rome. And Jesus has a different plan, a different mission. He would not triumph the way they thought he would. Instead, Jesus, Jesus would do it through suffering. And so in Mark 10, 45, at the very center of this book, this is the mission statement of Jesus. There we read, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, how does Jesus do this? How does Jesus do this? How does Jesus touch us? How does he come how does he make us clean by taking our sin in our place? To Jesus, we could say, he climbs up on that cross, removing the nails that rightfully belong in our hands and our feet, and he hangs in our place. In other words, Jesus trades places with us. He becomes forsaken that we might never be. Jesus is cast out that we might be welcomed in. And did you see that in our story today? Did you see that? Who, at the beginning of our story, is in a desolate place? The leper. Who, at the end of our story, is in a desolate place? Sunday school answer. Jesus. The leper spreads the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. 
and people were coming to him from every quarter. The, the cleansing that we receive in Jesus is not cheap. It's not cheap. It's not by the waving of a wand or a simple pronouncement. Jesus will achieve our cleansing from sin, sin done to us and sin done by us, through his work on the cross in our place. This is the good news Jesus came not only to say, but to show. And what does it require of us? What's our response this morning? Only that we would have the courage of the leper. Look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, The leper should, by both custom and law, be nowhere near Jesus. He shouldn't be there. He does not announce his presence. He doesn't remain in his remote colony. He comes to Jesus and he comes desperate. The excessive language makes it plain, right? A leper came to him and he came imploring him. And to visualize it, kneeling said to him, the leper is at bottom, bottom, bottom. Luke's gospel, which tells the same story, it's written by a physician, unsurprisingly makes a comment about the extent of the man's leprosy, saying the man was full of leprosy, full of it. He's at bottom. Again, bottom. The leper has nothing to lose and everything to gain. And as such, he and all the other needy people we're going to encounter in the coming weeks he becomes a model of true faith, of what real faith looks like. To quote that same scholar again, James Edwards, he says, faith is not a private wager, but a public risk that Jesus is worthy of trust when no other hope can be trusted. Faith is not a private wager, but a public risk that Jesus is worthy of trust when no other hope can be trusted. And so I ask this morning, do you have that faith? Is that your faith? Until you see Jesus as the only hope to be trusted, then true faith eludes you. Until you see yourself as a spiritual leper, without hope, without Jesus, then true faith eludes you. True cleansing eludes you. The good news of Jesus, friends, who he is, is that when we turn to him in this way, with this desperation, on our knees imploring him, he is both willing and able to heal us, to cleanse us. 